Wonderful. So um, if you've got a Bible with you, or if not, grab one of the ones in the tables in front of you. We are going to be looking at the book of Revelation this morning. Not a book in the Bible we look at an awful lot, but Revelation um, chapter 20, um, verses um, 11 to 15. That should be not 1 to 15. We're looking at 11 to 15, uh, which is on page 1249. Um. We are coming toward the end of the current teaching series that we're in at the moment. Um, and that teaching series has been entitled, Who is this King? Who is this King? Uh, who is Jesus? That's the, the big question that we've been asking ourselves. Who is Jesus? And every single week, we've been looking at a different characteristic of Jesus, a different perspective on Jesus. Um, next Sunday is the last Sunday in this series before we then move into Lent. And we're going to be doing a series on prayer over those few weeks. But um, a bit of a health warning for you this morning which is that um, this morning's Bible passage, which we're going to read together in just a moment, sounds a bit fire and brimstone-y, okay? I mean, it is a bit fire and brimstone-y. I'm not going to lie to you, it is. And um, when we get to read this passage, you may find yourself thinking, what is Johnny going to be speaking on this morning? How's he going to, I mean, how's he going to angle this one? So stick with me, okay? Stick with me through this morning. Um, hopefully the message will be helpful to you. Um, I said to us right at the beginning of this teaching series that there would be some weeks where we would look at aspects of Jesus's character and those messages would be really easy. They'd be really comforting and we'd like it and we'd go, oh, that was a lovely talk about Jesus. Um, it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside and probably it chimed with um, the perspective on Jesus that we already had. And then I said that there would be other weeks where we'd, we would hear teaching on Jesus that would make us feel a little bit uncomfortable because it would, call, it would confront us with aspects of Jesus where we would go, oh, that, that doesn't really fit with my idea of what Jesus is like. So this week falls into the latter of those two categories, if you hadn't guessed already. And we're looking at this topic of Jesus as the judge. So why don't we read it together? We're in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, and this is what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment, I think, is something we are relatively familiar with um, in our society. Um, something happened to me this week, um, and Rachel, I wonder if you could pop this photo up on the screen. So somebody decided this week, and I have no idea who this was, somebody from our community, I presume, decided that they were going to park their car at the bottom of our driveway 
so that we couldn't get out. And I uh, fortunately had nowhere urgent to be on this particular day, but I walked down or drove down actually partway down the driveway and suddenly stopped and saw this car that had just been plonked at the bottom, handbrake pulled up, just left there. Um, nobody around whom it apparently belonged to. And um, wow, I was, I was a little bit irritated. So um, I, um, I reined in my irritation and, and I wrote a very, very calm, non-aggressive note, which I put on the windscreen, which simply said, excuse me, do you realize that you are parking on my drive? And uh, unfortunately, I was not able to get my car out. Please, could you telephone me and left my number? And um, nobody called. And uh, I took this photo and I posted this photo on the local Sam's Facebook page and said, does anyone know who this car belongs to? Because they're on my driveway. And nobody knew, but quite a few people jumped in to offer some advice. And... um, and, and, and turns out that our local community um, really likes justice, okay? So they really wanted justice. So here are some of the comments I got. One person suggested I bump the car out the way. It's tempted. Um, quite a few suggested various ingenious ways of letting the tires down. Um, so if you want to know how to do that, come and talk to me. Um, Someone else, I love this one, someone suggested that I rang a scrap metal dealer and got them to take the car away. (laughs) I did none of these things. I prayed for the owner. Uh, No, I didn't. Um, But after a couple of hours, the car had disappeared and all was well. Um, But it really highlighted something for me, which was that we have an inherent sense of justice and actually we understand what it means to cast judgment. The thing is, when we come to the Bible, what we see is a completely different idea of judgment and a completely different kind of judge. And that's what we saw in that passage from Revelation. Now, it is worth just noting here when we read through the book of Revelation, which we don't do all that frequently, the book of Revelation is what is called apocalyptic literature, okay? So it is, it is literature about the end times, the end of the age. And most of the book of Revelation was a vision that was given to the apostle John, who had been one of the followers of Jesus. He was exiled by the authorities to a Greek island called Patmos. And on that island, he has this amazing vision of the end times. And you read through that vision, and I'll be honest with you, it sounds like fantasy fiction because it's full of, there's a dragon and there's a beast and there's animals with multiple heads and all of this kind of stuff. And it's very, very, very very dramatic. Um, And it's written like that because it is this piece of apocalyptic literature talking about the end time. So let's have a look at verse 11 of the passage that I read to us. And this is part of the vision that John sees. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So what John is seeing here is the final day of judgment. The whole of the human race, past, present, and future, throughout time and history, is summoned to appear before God, before his throne of judgment, and... They are called to give an account of themselves. 
And Jesus had actually spoken about this event before during his earthly ministry. He'd spoken about actually in one of his parables in Matthew 25. Jesus told a parable called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in this parable, he uses this analogy of these two animals, sheep and goats, to talk about what will happen when he returns at the end of the world to judge all humankind. And um, it's quite a striking parable, actually, not the nice, lovely parables that perhaps we're used to reading about Jesus. Jesus returns and he says he will literally separate out those who are righteous, that is those who in this life have made a decision to follow him, and those that are unrighteous, that is those who have taken a decision not to follow him. And the first set of people will be welcomed into eternity with him, and the second will not. So it's a tough parable to read, really tough parable. And this bit of revelation is the enactment of that parable. This is the story of that day of judgment when Jesus returns and all humankind is called to account. And one day, the reality is, all of us, from every time and age, no matter what our colour, creed or background, we will appear before the throne of Jesus and be judged. So, does that feel slightly heavy for a Sunday morning? Where is the message of hope? Where is the message of encouragement? Because that's what we come to church for, isn't it? Where's the message of encouragement and hope within that story, within that passage? Let's take a look at the next verse, at verse 12. We're told here that all the people are gathered before the throne, and in verse 12, books were opened. Books were opened. And then we're told in the next sentence, another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we've got that. So some books were opened, and then the book of life was opened. I have a little visual illustration over here. Some books were opened. Okay, here are some books. And here is the book of life on a lovely little stand here. Okay, so we can just picture the difference. Some books were opened, and the book of life was opened. And what does it say? Verses 12 to 14. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to the stuff they had done. So everyone is judged according to the stuff, according to what they have done, as recorded in the books, okay, which gives an account of all human action and activity. And then skip ahead to verse 15, we're told something else. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So just stick with me on this one. We've got this collection of books that records all human activity in time and history, what people have said, thought and done. And then we have the book of life, which seems to be the book that ultimately matters, okay, which is about something different. So what is the book of life all about? The book of life is about whether you are recognized on that day as being a follower of Jesus, whether you belong to him. 
Okay? There is something about how we live our life and the actions and the deeds that we do, but there is something far more important, which is about whether we actually belong to Jesus. And when he sees us, he recognizes us as one of his own. Now, this is such a meaty topic that we could spend the next hour talking about it and still have only scratched the surface, and I'm not going to do that. But let me give you this little analogy to help. This is mine and Anna's marriage certificate, okay? So we got married uh, seven years ago this summer, and um, on that uh, day, on the 13th of July... Um, <laughs> On the 13th of July, we stood in church and before our friends and family and before God, we made promises and we made vows. And I promised to love her and be faithful to her for as long as we both shall live. And I'm stuck with that promise now. Um, and it's wonderful. So, um, so that is a covenant, okay? And that is something that is unchanging. So I am married. That is now the permanent status of me, of my identity, of our life together. Now, at the end of my life, I will doubtlessly reflect on what sort of a husband I was, okay? Did I honor Anna as she deserved? Did I give her the time that she deserved? Did I put her first? And I will be called to account for that, for the sort of husband that I was, and I will be judged. But here's the thing. Even if I am a lousy husband... I am still Anna's husband. Now, hopefully I won't be a lousy husband, but even if I am a, a rubbish husband, I am still Anna's husband. And that tells us something about what is going on here in this day of judgment between these two books. Because on the one hand, we will be held to account for the things that we have done and the way that we have stewarded what God has given us and the way we have lived our life. But on the other hand, the thing that will matter in the end is whether we belong to Jesus, whether we are his, whether our name is in the book of life. Now, it may surprise you to know that I don't wake up every morning and think, oh, I wonder if I'm still married. How do I know? How can I be sure that I'm married? You know, I don't have doubts about that. I know that I'm married. And if I ever do doubt, I, I look at the certificate. Um, and also, you know, notice that Anna's in the house. Um, but I know that I am married, okay? I know that that is true. That is a permanent state. So I don't ask that question. The question I do sometimes ask is, Am I honouring Anna in my marriage? Am I being a good husband? Is this a good marriage where I am fulfilling the vows and commitments that I made? So this morning's message is a bit of a double-sided one for us. And um, I wonder if, we don't often carry coins around, do we, these days? But um, if you've got a coin on you um, to hand, would you just uh, get it out of your pocket? So I've got a 10p coin here. And uh, this is just a little visual illustration to help us think about 
this message this morning. So um, all of our coins um, have different things on each side. So on the one side, we always have the queen's head. And on the other side, we have the denomination of that coin. We have its value, um, 10p in this case. So a bit of a visual aid. So um, have a look at one side of that coin, okay? Why don't we choose uh, tails? Let's have a look at the value. Let's have a look at that. So the one side of the coin. If you have given your life to Jesus, to use the language of Jesus, if you have been born again, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, if you have accepted his forgiveness, and if ultimately you have accepted his authority over your life, you have been given new life. And your name is in the book of life. Let me just say that again. If you have received the forgiveness of Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, and if you have accepted his authority over your life, you have been given new life, and your name is in the book of life. So as dramatic and as awesome as that story in Revelation sounds to us when we read it, and it will be, make no mistake, You have nothing to fear about the day of judgment because Jesus will look upon you with love and welcome you home. Believers need not fear that day. Let's look at the other side of that coin. Because the other side of that coin is whilst that is absolutely true, decisions in this life matter They matter to God and they have consequences. Some Christians have tried to peddle a theology that basically says, hey, Jesus loves me and Jesus has forgiven me so I can do whatever I want. I can live whatever life I want because he doesn't really care about the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis. He just loves me and he's just forgiven me and you know, and ultimately I'm going to spend eternity with him. So does it really matter? Well, that would be like me saying, I'm married to Anna. I've got the certificate to prove it. Okay. And I made vows and you know, we're going to be faithful to each other. And so I can behave however I want and I don't need to do the dishes, you know, and I don't need to kind of, you know, help her out and keep keep the house tidy and you know I don't need to give her words of affirmation I don't, ugh, don't need to bother with all that well it wouldn't lead to a great marriage would it it wouldn't be advisable the decisions that we make matter and we will be held to account for those decisions So what I want to ask us this morning, and I told you this would be a bit of a challenging teaching is which side of this coin? challenges you and speaks to you most. On the one hand, do you know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus? If you have given your life to him, you belong to him and you don't need to fear And you don't need to worry and you don't need to wake up thinking, but how do I know and how can I be sure he loves you? He has welcomed you. You are his and you can rest in the peace of that truth. He has said yes to you when you said yes to him. But maybe it's the other side of the coin. Maybe 
you know that Jesus loves you and you know that he's accepted you and you've said yes to him and you don't have doubts about your eternal salvation, to use a theological term. You know that that's true. But actually, if you were to look in your heart and look at your actions, you know, if you are honest with yourself, that the way that you live your life, maybe the way that you spend your money, your marriage, your work ethic, the language that you use, the stuff that you watch, the opportunities to tell people about Jesus that you squander, whatever it might be, you know that you are not completely honoring God in every area of your life. And maybe you've justified this because we all do. And maybe we've said, well, I don't think God really cares about this area of my life over here because it's pretty inconsequential, really. And we compartmentalize and we shut things off and we justify. And God does care because it really does matter. How we live our lives matters. So I think this morning there are going to be some of us who, can I put it this way, need to take a chill pill and just need to relax in the love and the grace of God and and need to realize that he has done an amazing work for you. And it's not about your hard work and it's not about your efforts and you don't need to live with this state of, I wonder if he loves me. And, And he does. And he has said yes to you, and you do not need to fear. And that may speak to some of you this morning. And equally, actually, for others of you, if I might say this, we need to wise up and to have some discipline in our lives because we've got the love and the grace of Jesus. But maybe in some areas of our lives, we are not surrendering to him and we are not honoring him. And our behaviours don't match up to some of the things that we've said. So I told you it'd be a bit uncomfortable this morning. I'd like us to think about how we might respond um, in a couple of different ways. So um, Martin, I wonder if you and the band could come up to the front and help to lead us. Just take a look at that coin again. And consider which side of that coin most challenged you and most spoke to you. So in a moment of quiet, just think, which side of that coin did you think, yeah, that, that's more where I'm at this morning? And now I want to say something to all of you, irrespective of where you are. Jesus loves you. He loves you. And if you are living with any sense of fear or any sense of uncertainty about whether ultimately you are going to spend eternity with Jesus and whether you're, quote, good enough, and you read passages like this about judgment and think, oh my goodness, he loves you and he has said yes to you. And if the challenge for you was the other side of that coin, and actually you are aware that there are areas of your life where you are not honoring God, Jesus loves you. And he loves you so much that he will not leave you where you are. 
and he is calling you to make a change. Would you stand with me? Um, as Martin and the band uh, just begin to, to play and then lead us in this song, which speaks about giving our all to Jesus and adoring him, um, I want to invite you to think about how, if at all, God might be calling you to respond. I think there are some of us here this morning who just need to know the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of Jesus and to know your name is written in the book of life. Full stop. That's it. That's what you need to know. And if that is you, what I would love you to do as we sing this song is to get somebody to pray for you. And the way I want to encourage you to do that is to take a step forward and to stand on the rugs that we've got in our little um, semicircles, to stand on that rug as a symbol that you want somebody to pray for you and encourage you. And then those that are stood around you, if you would please, lay a hand on them. You don't need to talk to them or offer counsel or advice, but pray for the Holy Spirit to come and to give them peace and to affirm them. And there are going to be others of you this morning who feel a little bit uncomfortable because you know that God is calling you to make a change. And you may also want to get prayer and do feel free to do the same thing, to stand forward and to ask people to pray for you. But I want you to do something else if you would, which is to decide this morning in your heart what it is God is calling you to change and to to tell somebody. Okay, the Bible is really clear that we share our burdens with one another. We are a church. We are a family. There may be somebody in this room who you need to have a personal conversation with and say, this is what God is challenging me about. Can I talk to you about it? It might be that you need to get your phone out and text somebody and say, in the next week or two, could we meet up for a coffee? I'd just like to chat and pray with you about something that God is challenging me about. What is it for you? So stand forward and get prayer. Think about how God is speaking to you and what he wants you to do in response. And let us worship and let us receive God's love, God's grace and the fullness of life that he calls us into. Amen.